According to the faithful few on Saturday morning, <laughs> those that were up late last night packing, everything was ready to go. The rest are still at it, I guess, but it's good to see everybody. And it has just been a tremendous privilege for my wife and uh, myself and little one to be here throughout this week. We thank you again for this year. Uh, your grace has been evidenced. I think I ran out of material the second message of the first year, and now you've had to put up for it for three. <laughs> but you're kind to do so, and I uh, really do appreciate it. It's been a real privilege to be with our brother Larry as well. Uh, occasionally we have that opportunity, and it's been nice of Larry to put up with another Jacob or another James uh, throughout this week. And we do thank the Lord that he's working on each and every one of us by his grace. Let's turn to the book of Acts this morning. As you recall, we've been progressing through these different commissions or different charges by the Lord Jesus before his ascension, after his resurrection. It's interesting to note that the Lord made approximately 10 appearances. You might find some others, maybe more or less, but most of them were on the first day, about five of them. On that very first day of his resurrection, he appeared, appeared to Mary Magdalene, to the other women also. Uh, the book of Corinthians tells us that he appeared to Peter on that day, to the disciples on that evening, uh, the two on the road to Emmaus, and then, of course, later on that next Sunday. I suppose it would be somewhat interesting to meditate on what transpired in those other 40 days. It was almost six weeks that the Lord made different appearances over. Uh, but then on uh, the week later, he appeared again to his apostles. And then we have appearances like we read about in John chapter 21, that the Holy Spirit doesn't choose to give us the exact timing of it. But at different times, the Lord stepped right in to the presence of his disciples and he manifested himself or showed himself in wonderful ways and shared these tremendous commissions that we've had opportunity to look at with his disciples. Let's go ahead and read in the Acts of the Apostles, probably could be termed or titled slightly differently, uh, the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles or the Lord Jesus through his Apostles. But let's begin in verse 1, chapter 1. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem 
and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. And we've titled this the Commission of Gospel Grace. Where is the gospel going to start? Where is it first going to be preached? And the Lord is going to step, have his people step right into the very lair of the murderers themselves, into that city that rejected him, in front of those high priests and those others that rejected him. It's the commission of gospel grace, and he's going to start it right here, he says, in Jerusalem. Now, notice this, that that there was a former treatise that Luke refers to, that this is literally a second historical volume then, that he's going to be writing about the Lord. And he again titles it to Theophilus. He, He used the phrase, the excellent Theophilus, in his first book. And it may have been that Theophilus has come to know the Lord at this time and maybe a bit more of a humble man, maybe a closer relationship. And he just refers to him as Theophilus. But whatever it may be, this is the second volume that he's writing to this man. And he says, as he uses this phrase at the end of verse 1, that these are only the things that Jesus began both to do and to teach. And the Lord Jesus himself says that thou shalt do greater things. And by the grace of the Lord Jesus and through his power, continuing on forward to this day and beyond until the return of the Lord. It's the works of the Lord Jesus through his people. Just the beginning of it, says Luke. Until the day which he has taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive, after his suffering by many infallible proofs. Now take note of this at least that Luke is going to give us a very quick overview of his gospel and just hit the high points, what the Lord Jesus did and what he taught. And by the way, only in the life of our Savior was the teaching and the doing, the words and the actions identical. And in that wonderful person, he says, we've taken a look at him. We've seen his death. We've seen his resurrection. But there's a fascinating little phrase that he adds in here that is never found anywhere else in the Gospels. It's not certainly found in Luke's Gospel. But it is this phrase. After that, he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. And surely it's something to take note of. It probably is going to be helpful in the interpretation and the understanding of the Acts of the Apostles. Because he adds it to what he had spoken about in Luke. And now we recognize that what he had said and these commandments that had been given had been given through the Holy Spirit. And we know that we're going to find the Holy Spirit himself coming down very soon 
to these people in this very city of Jerusalem. And they were going to now have that signet, that Holy Spirit that was going to come in a different way than he had ever come before. And he was going to reside permanently in the Lord's people, those who had placed their faith in the Lord Jesus. So I think it's helpful to take note of that phrase. Now, what does it mean by, let's look in verse 3, having a glorified body? I think we can look at that just for a moment because Lord willing, someday we're going to. He is alive, brothers and sisters. That's verse 3. And the Lord Jesus had died, conquered sin and death and hell, and he was alive. And it says that he showed himself alive. He, he painted this portrait. He came out and he showed himself alive, Scripture says, by infallible proofs. There was no question whatsoever that the Lord Jesus had died and now he was risen. Infallible, says Scripture, the infallible word of God. And only here he says that it was over 40 days or about six weeks or so. And the Lord Jesus during this time had come into the presence of his people in a very interesting way, right? He could step in and step out, but he could still associate with them. It wasn't a body that could only be used in future glory after all of sin was taken care of. He could still step into this sinful world and show himself and they could touch him and they could hear him. In fact, on one occasion, he said, give me some food to eat. Now, in the context of yesterday's message, do you remember what it was that Luke records for us that was given to him? Well, one of them was fish, right? And he took it and he ate it. I'll tell you, God is no man's debtor because John's going to tell us that you give the Lord one fish. How many is going is he going to give you in return? Well, 153 at least, right? But not 153, it was more than that. Because when they came to that, came to sit down there at the fireside, he already had more for them. I'll tell you, that's a good return on the investment. God is no man's debtor. But the Lord Jesus in that body was able to eat something. It was a real body, was it not? It was still the same size probably that he was before. It was a body that was recognizable. But yet... It had some very fascinating aspects to it because he could step into their presence through a door or whatever material object was there and he could walk right back out of it or disappear right back out of it. The Lord Jesus in his sinless, glorious body. It could interact with this physical world, but it was a perfect body. It could come and it could go. And one day the Lord has something alike for each one of us. But he was alive, says Luke. He stepped into their presence. He ate in their presence. And the infallible proofs were just that. The Lord Jesus was alive. And it says that he was speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. You see, they believed at this time that he was the Messiah, did they not? And they knew their Old Testament. Look at some of the speeches, if you want to put it that way, of, of Peter and others as we go through the book of the Acts. Just a few days later, Peter is going to take us back to some of these identical passages that refer to the kingdom of God. And Larry's been taking us there as well. But they knew that this Messiah who is going to come 
They now recognized his passion, the assurance of his rising again. But what came next in their mind in the scriptural record? Micah chapter 4, Daniel chapter 7, Joel chapters 2 and 3. Now, maybe they didn't recognize the, the two comings at this time. They still had in their mind, perhaps, like you might infer very easily, as you read in the Old Testament, the singular coming of the Messiah. But if the king, I mean, is now the time for the kingdom? It was a very good question. And the Lord Jesus is going to share some things with them. If now is not the time for the kingdom, then what comes next? What is next in God's program for the restoration of all things. And if it's the coming of the Holy Spirit, then surely the Lord's going to tell us something about it. Remember back during his upper room ministry, at least four different times, the Lord Jesus refers to the coming of the Holy Spirit. Is that what's next in this stepping way to the, to the fruition of the kingdom of the Lord himself? In what way was the Holy Spirit going to come if that's the next step? See, in the Old Testament, there were different comings of the Lord Jesus, right? There were theophanies in the Old Testament when the Lord Jesus stepped into the affairs of men. But when he came through the womb of Mary and he was given that veil of his flesh, that was a very different coming. When the Lord Jesus came as a man, he came once and for all to then be be and remain a man. And when he stepped through the door of his creation and there was a face, a human face put upon the Godhead, that was something which has has not changed into this day. What an amazing thing that is that there's a man at the right hand of God today interceding for us. A man. And in like manner as he's gone, a man, we've had it proven infallibly, he can eat fish, he's gone into heaven, and there's a man that's going to return. And we're going to be his bride. But you see, the Holy Spirit was now going to come and come as well. And in what way was the Holy Spirit going to come? In the Old Testament, we read of different times when the Holy Spirit stepped into the realm of mankind. And certain things transpired. Remember Paul lying naked in the road all night long. I'll tell you, there was some great influence that the Holy Spirit had on individuals in the Old Testament. But David says an interesting prayer in the Psalms, a prayer that we would never pray today. He says, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. It wasn't permanent residence in the Old Testament. But the Holy Spirit then evidently next in this stepping stone toward the kingdom is going to now come in a different way like the Lord Jesus's appearing was slightly different. And he's going to come, we read in the Corinthians in chapter 6 and in chapter 3, to indwell the believer permanently until the redemption of the purchased possession. He's going to come, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and in a very special way, indwell God's people as a body, the church. And if this is next, then we, if we had the time, would go on to find out many more things regarding this coming now of the Holy Spirit. Permanent residence in the believer. Now, just for a minute, the timing of these things, and I think we can digress very quickly. We don't have a lot of time, but 
Remember that the, the correspondence of the timing of these things was, was amazing, was, shall we say, divine. The Lord Jesus died during the Passover. And in the Old Testament, as we progress through scriptural revelation, there was firstly a lamb that was given in the place of an individual. His name was Abel. And Abel was right before the Lord. We move a little bit further in the revelation of Scripture. And a lamb now, and the shedding of blood, is going to take the place of a family. And you might think of different heads of homes that might sacrifice this lamb. And that lamb, at least pictorially, took the place of their sin. Paid for their sin for a temporal amount of time. And then we get into the book of Exodus. And now it's a lamb, not for an individual or for a family, but for a nation. And this feast is instituted. Literally it occurs. And the blood is painted on the doorpost. And when we come to the New Testament, John says as he kind of comes up to us and we listen to him and he pierces us in the ribs with his elbows and he says, pay attention, behold, the Lamb of God, which comes not for an individual or a family or for a nation, but for the sins of the whole world. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, we're told, that even Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. And now at Pentecost, another festival, another feast, picturing the coming of the Holy Spirit on this 50th day, the Spirit is going to be given. Now recollect back in Leviticus chapter 23 that the first feast that is given, as far as these agricultural, kind of twin agricultural feasts, is the Feast of first fruits, And a stalk of corn or maybe a, some wheat or whatever, a head of wheat that was not yet finished, was not yet ripe, was to be taken and offered before the Lord. But 50 days later, when everything was completed and harvest time was come, they were taken, they were crushed, they were turned into bread, and then we have the Feast of Pentecost. And I know it's only in picture form. But back then, winter was over. The cold was somewhat finished. And the very first harvest was commencing. And if you had been very careful with your food up to this point, because you didn't know if it was la it would last, now you could partake and enjoy it. The sun was shining and the harvest time was come. And now we're going to see the harvest of souls, aren't we? Sin's dark past and its hold is over. And the lamb has been slain. Sin and its power has been eradicated. And the Lord is sending His Spirit. And oh, the fruit that is going to abound in this, the book of Acts. And brothers and sisters, you and I today have the opportunity, just like these men did, to go forth in the power of the Spirit to carry forth the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these commissions ought to get our attention to say, Lord, wherever I am in my local assembly, Noed was making a realization yesterday, I know he's had it a long time ago, that the rest of us ought to make. He said, I live in the middle of a mission field. My daughter is the only Caucasian in her whole class, one in her class of, what was it, 40 or something like that. She's the only one. But every one of us live in the midst of a mission field and we need to start right where we are, faithfully sharing the goodness of the Lord by His grace. If the Lord calls us beyond our neighborhood, praise the Lord. He'll make that clear too. 
And as we're going to see here, the gospel and its grace is so wonderful and so powerful that I cannot help but overflow the very seams of Jerusalem, and Judea and Samaria. And it's going to go into the uttermost parts of the earth itself. This outpouring then of the spirit and being assembled together with them, he commanded them, verse four, that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the father, which saith he. Ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. Let me just give you a bit of a tidbit too, and I'm sure you've noticed it before, but to meditate on. In the book of Matthew, it is the power of the Son, right? All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. In the commission in Luke, it is the power of the Spirit that we read about. In this commission, in the book of Acts, we read about the power of the Father. Now, this question that the disciples had, I think, again, a little bit along like the lines of, of uh, John chapter 21. We want to give some credit to these disciples, these apostles. They were thinking, weren't they? They knew a certain amount of their Old Testament, as we referred to earlier. And it was a very, I believe, well thought out and a studious question. It's not like they were just earthly minded and you know, therefore no, or, you know, earthly minded and therefore no earthly good. If we're heavenly minded, then we're earthly good. But it was a studious question as we made reference to those passages before. Because what comes next? In their mind, it's the kingdom, isn't it? And the Lord Jesus is going to give us a little bit of a glimpse into it. In Joel chapter 2, remember, after the promise of the outpouring of the Spirit, it was going to be followed by the time when as we have been relating to, when the great and terrible day of the Lord was going to come, when God would restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, when he was going to judge the Gentile nations, break their dominance, and restore Jerusalem and its wonderful position. And as you read these Old Testament promises, they tend to just follow right on, don't they? And they're saying, okay, Lord, if the Spirit is coming then what's, the, what's next? Well, in their mind, what's next and in scriptural record is the kingdom. It's a very good question. Now, some again give the apostles hard times and they try to create a lot of difficulties perhaps in these interpretations. And just very, very quickly on our basic level of thought flow and conversation, does the answer make sense to the interpretation that many I believe incorrectly, are giving to Scripture these days. It's a nonsensical answer if we follow out some of the interpretations that are happening these days. Notice if there's no kingdom at all, what kind of sense does this interpretation make? His answer would be, well, it's not for you to know. It's in the Father's timing. At least that's what Scriptural says. But if there is no restoration, there is no timing, is there? If there is no restoration, if there's no timing to be known, there's no timing to be known by the father or the son or by us. 
But he says there is timing. But it's in the Father's hand. Well, suppose it's a, uh, a different kind of kingdom. It's not a, uh, it's not a literal kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. And again, it doesn't make any sense because what was he going to say? I am going to restore it, but not in the sense you think, rightly understood. It's really a spiritual kingdom and not a literal kingdom. I guess he could have said that. But he said, following again the, the, the relation or scripture itself and the record, he would say, it's in the Father's hand. The timing is in the Father's hand. The setting up of the kingdom, though, doesn't really refer to Israel. It refers to the setting up of my spiritual kingdom. But that's going to commence right now because Pentecost has already occurred and, and therefore you should know the timing and I should know the timing and the Father would have already said the timing if it was going to start right now after the giving of the Spirit and it was a spiritual kingdom instead of a literal kingdom. So again, it doesn't make any sense, does it? And even if we go back to the Old Testament promises and the prophecies in Micah chapter 4 specifically, it is an actual promise that is given with a timing. And in conjunction with that timing, certain specific events are given in conjunction with the timing and the establishment of the kingdom. And it's very hard to spiritualize those specific things. And so we have to say, is it a poetical expression or is it a concrete promise that the Lord gives? In that day, says Micah chapter 4 and verse 6, when many nations will renounce their armed conflict, and on and on he goes to give what will happen in that day. Did nations gather around at Pentecost and give up their arms? They didn't, did they? And in spite of all of our preaching and all of the tremendous work of God in this day and age, it still hasn't transpired, has it? And we're still waiting for the coming of the Lord itself, Himself. But there is a real message for a war-racked world and a terrorist-ridden world and a famine that is occurring in many ways spiritually and physically throughout the world. There is an answer. And it's going to be the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ when He sets everything right. Justice and peace will prevail. He could have answered the question by saying, no, I'm not going to restore it. Or yes, I am and this is the way. But He makes the assumption and He says the Father has the timing in His hand and in His wisdom. And I believe that if we look at Matthew chapter 24 and 1 Corinthians 5, and especially the teachings of Peter in Acts chapter 3 and elsewhere, he takes it as a very literal, actual second coming of the Lord himself. Verse 8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, 
which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. A couple of final thoughts. Ye shall be witnesses, it says. The force of it is not ye shall do witnessing. The force of it is that ye shall be witnesses. And as we referred to earlier on in the week, our prayer is that somehow the Lord would be gracious, would be kind, and would allow our testimonies of life to be so vibrant and so unusual that the world will come up to us and ask us a reason of the hope that is within us. And if we haven't had someone come up and ask us that question in the last month or six months or a year, it ought to shake us a bit that our testimony is so alike the rest of the world around us that there is no difference in us from the world. And he says unto them, ye shall be witnesses before me in this place called Jerusalem. And no matter what our fear is in sharing the gospel, and no matter how harsh or hard or cold the other individual ought to be, let's remember this, that in this commission of grace, the Lord Jesus said, you go here, you begin here in Jerusalem. No people are too hardened. No people are too tough. None are too late to reach. Step into the lair of the murderers themselves. There is a grace that can even meet and exceed the crimson guilt of Jerusalem itself. And whether it is the powers of religion of the Jew or whether it is the power of the glory of the Rome, you step into the midst of it and you give the good news of a real glory and of a real power and give them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They should be the first to hear the sweet tale of pardon. A pardon that is powerful enough to cleanse all outside the precincts of hell itself. Thousands were going to be saved in Jerusalem, the place where they had cried out to crucify Him. And if the gospel is that powerful at that time in this place, its power certainly is going to carry on and carry forward. And no matter the situation, brother and sister, we can step forward with the gospel and be excited about what he has given for us to carry on. Now in Acts chapter 5 and verse 20, high command's directive is not changed, has it? Go, stand, and preach. And the risen Lord who commended them and commissioned them lives still. And His objectives are identical. His vigor is undiminished. Time has not worn down the power of the gospel. It hasn't dimmed its hope. It hasn't eclipsed its glory. The glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a privilege ought to be ours to go ye and to all the world and to share the gospel. Let's just pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we trust that today that our steadfast look is upon our Savior. And that we would recognize that as these angels came down, and in effect they said, it's time to get to work. Why stand ye there gazing? Get at it. Jerusalem is waiting. We pray for our own lives today that by your grace you would give us help, Lord, to get at it. And to not just stand and gaze, not merely stand and appreciate. We know that our love for Thee is the source of it all, and we thank Thee for those times. But Father, as we go forth Monday, 
As we go forth every day of the rest of our lives, we are supposed to pass it, the time of our sojourning with fear. For Lord, we don't know how long we have. And if we're not saved till we're in our 20s and within a few decades, we're practically worn out and very soon we're called home and in the very measurement of eternity, it's such a short, short time. We ask Thee that we would be faithful. We just do thank Thee now, Lord, for these times together in the Word. We trust it unto Thee. We give Thee thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.